Hey guys, this is Gans. Just a quick reminder to visit theprophecyforum.com and sign up for the live stream. Use the promo code CanaryCryRadio, all one word, no spaces, and get 10% off tickets. Hope to see you guys there. What do these festivals have to offer? These times of such intense change, both in terms of resiliency and pragmatic approaches. What is brewing in these transformational festivals that is the antidote that speaks so deeply to what is missing in our modern, materialist, urban societies? For those of you who don't know what Burning Man is, most people think it's like a bunch of naked hippies doing drugs in the desert, and they're right. And it is much, 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 much more than that. So really, what I wanted to share with you guys is what the world could stand to learn from Burning Man. Because there's a lot of things that they're doing right out there. For the post-war generations, it was rock and roll that burst forth with spontaneous wildness and possibility and broke the chokehold of Puritan Protestant paradigm on Western culture. But when rave culture burst out of electronic dance music, what this represented to a new generation, first in the UK and the East Coast of America, and then the world, was nothing less than the full return of the ecstatic tradition to Western culture. And I believe what we are witnessing in these festivals is the rejoining of something that has been split in Western culture since the 13th century, when the church finally outlawed dancing and ejected this and all other ecstatic expressions off the church grounds and into the commons where it developed into the tradition of carnival. And I believe what we are witnessing with these new transformational festivals is nothing less than the rejoining of the sacred ritual and the secular festival. You're listening to Canary Cry Radio. Here's Basil and Hey everybody and welcome to Canary Cry Radio. My name is Basil. And this is Gons. Welcome to episode number 078. Just keeps getting bigger. Yep. Uh, our guest today is a return guest. His Yay! name is Carl Tycrib. He's the chief editor of Forcing Change. Uh, that's a monthly magazine that covers the globalist agenda. Carl's been, uh, he's attended several conferences and meetings where they talk about global governance and all kinds of issues that you guys are all familiar with. So we welcome back Carl. Carl, how are you doing? I'm doing okay. Good to be with you guys. Good to have you back, buddy. So I know you, you, you're a little sick. You mentioned that before the show. But can I just mention that it makes you sound like a total... Can I say bad... I can't say bad... <laughs> <laughs> I have to bleep that. It's okay. <laughs> but but your voice is awesome right now. Well, that's cool. Very cool. Yes, it's adding this whole like really again. Is there a synonym for badass? Can I not figure out a different word for badass? No. A batter. A <laughs> Anyways, I like it. So thank you for that. Um. Oh gosh, well, you just made my editing experience <laughs> challenging right from the get-go. Technically, ass is in the Bible, so, you know, it's really... It's true, you're a bad donkey. Yeah. <laughs> you're, a, 
Bad donkey, Mr. Carl. <laughs> it comes out of like Shrek or something, you know? <laughs> yeah, exactly. Exactly. All right. So you recently, what, wrote a book, drew a picture, did something no. awesome? No. <laughs> no, with the issue of transformational festivals is one of those topics that I've been kind of um, hitting on off and on for about the last year and a half. Ah. Yes, and uh, did, did a number of radio shows on the topic this summer already. Uh, last year, I, I published a report on the topic of transformational festivals, celebrating transformation, celebrating oneness. I published it in August of 2013, and it didn't get a lot of traction last year. For some reason, I only had a couple of radio shows. It just didn't seem to be a lot of buzz. My own readers, however, when they read the article, when they read the report, uh, I was surprised how much response I received from people saying, hey, that's my daughter, that's my son, yeah. that, that was me, uh, we have this in my backyard, and, and I realized I hit on something with this topic. You know, I really think you did too. And, and obviously, the, the number one thing that comes to mind is Burning Man. And I think a, a large part of that is because Burning Man has become just incredibly popular over the past few years. You know, it was always kind of a counterculture uh, thing that wasn't really for everybody. But in the past couple of years, it's just become this enormous draw for even in the mainstream. Right, right. And, and not just Burning Man, the uh, the singular event, but the entire Burning Man culture. Mm. Uh, now you have regional events in, in practically most states across the U.S. Uh, you have a number of regional events that take place in Western Canada. Uh, you know, there, some of them are, are quite large already. And, and indeed, the regional event side to Burning Man is huge already, even in other parts of the world. South Africa has, has a, a large... Uh, Burning Man event that takes place uh, kind of in parallel to what's happening uh, it, it, with the Burning Man event in Nevada. It, it has become a, a global phenomenon. But what's important to understand is that this is just one piece of, of the idea of transformational celebrations and transformational festivals. And a lot of people have focused on Burning Man in the past and still mm -hmm. do, and that's all good, that's dandy. But, but what I found out was that, more or less, we missed the bigger picture. We focused on one event and didn't realize that there are literally hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of these events taking place around the world each year. Uh, possibly up to a thousand of these events that are happening. Uh, most of them in North America, but Europe, a lot in Europe. A number in Australia, New Zealand. Uh, South America, Central America has them. Uh, even places like Nepal has transformational events. Uh, the, the one in Nepal is called Universal Religion. And, and some of these events attract tens of thousands. A lot are, are small, you know, only a few hundred, a few thousand. Uh, a, fair, a fair number are 10,000 plus. And then you have some of the, some of the really large ones. Uh, some of them even make Burning Man look small in terms of, of numbers. Wow. Uh, yeah, like Zaget, which is is already in the six figures, uh, Glastonbury, almost three hundred thousand. I think well, last year was two eighty or something to that effect. Two hundred eighty thousand people. Now, uh, what are some examples of this? I've I've never heard of either of the two ones that you mentioned. Are they similar? Are they like a Burning Man, or are they different? <laughs> What's what are they? 
No, you know, and that's what makes this this hard to kind of get your get your fingers on, is that there's a complete dynamic, there's a whole spectrum in terms of what it means to, to take a look at transformational events or transformational celebrations. On the one side, you have openly pagan, very pagan events, uh, like the pagan spirit gathering that takes place every year and has been taking place since the 1980s in the U.S. Midwest. Uh, you have things like fairy con and fairy festivals, uh, and there's a whole worldview built around the idea of fairy and and nature spirits. Then you have things more in the middle, like Burning Man, things that are more recognized as as this fusion of art and music and community and celebration. And then all the way over to the other side of the spectrum, you have events that are almost completely oriented towards music. There's there's simply concerts, but they're concerts whose theme is built around oneness, a theme of transformation. And Tomorrow World and Tomorrowland are perfect examples of that, where you have 180,000 uh, people last year at Tomorrow, Tomorrow World. I believe this year, uh, Tomorrowland was around 360, 360,000 people oh over, over the space of two weekends. And uh, again, it's more of a concert theme. It's, it's music-driven. But from beginning to end, from their from their trailers and their and their video teasers, all the way through to to uh, the point where acts come and go on the stage. The stage itself is alive. It tells you all about the importance of being one, coming together as a global community, and and everybody's sucking it up and dancing, and and, and not even some of them don't even realize that they're being preached to the whole time. You're being preached to. So there's a, a wide spectrum. But what what draws all of them together? All of them is that they is that they, is that they look to achieve the idea of oneness and global transformation towards our our unity, the unity of of humanity, the unity between man, nature, and God. The concept that we are all becoming one, and this is a celebration, a modeling of this. Indeed, it's already being lived out in these temporary places. Well, it sounds like. A lot of what Genesis 3 with the serpent, what he promised, the eyes being opened, and it's almost like celebrating that as a global community. But how is this, you know, how is the modern movement of, you know, the the pagan spirit gatherings? And um, I'm looking at a list here of Starwood, Brushwood, Wisteria. There's all kinds of stuff. How is that different from like the 60s with uh, obviously um, Woodstock and you know, some of those events that were pretty popular in the 60s and 70s that were, I mean, in essence, they were transformative cultural events. Right. In fact, Woodstock is kind of considered the the birthplace. And, and it was a festival that wasn't just simply music-oriented. It, it, it appealed to a sense of transformation. It was considered a festival for the Aquarian Age. And a lot right. of people forget that that was a, a, a part of, of the whole mystique of being at Woodstock. Uh, and... and there were other music festivals at the time that started in the in the early 1970s. Glastonbury in England is a good example, uh, which was simply a place to come, listen to music, get drunk, run around, roll around in the mud, and, and have a, a wild time over the course of a weekend. Since then, uh, Glastonbury has become a, a more or less a transformational event. They've got uh, stage areas uh, that cater towards uh, gr the green movement. They have uh, areas for yoga. They've got uh, different aspects where you can get in touch with your spiritual side while you listen to the music, while you engage in the community. 
while you interact with the art installations all of it now is built around the idea of let's let's have a transformational experience music becomes the drawing card it becomes that lightning rod that brings people in but there's way more going on than just simply a concert right now before we get too deep into this can you give us a definition of transformational events or transformative events that you use so we can all be on the same page here? Absolutely. It is, at, at its core, the celebration of oneness, the celebration of a new humanity, the celebration of a transformation that's already taking place in the hearts of mankind. And you know where, where I kind of stumbled into this is is as a researcher dealing with global issues trying to understand global governance trying to understand uh, the wor- the work of interfaithism all these other interlocking areas of of a one world system trying to understand all that i went to i, I thought kind of kind of thought to myself all right there has to be a cultural side as well because if we're working towards one if we're working towards a one world system then every facet of life has to be touched we already see that happening with transhumanism and technology we see it taking place in our education system we see it taking place across the board in so many different areas and i've always had an interest in burning man because i knew it represented something bigger than just the event itself and i've watched kind of from the distance uh the whole burning man experience and uh i never have gone i've been wanting to go for a number of years but i've never been able to to make it happen uh but in terms of of trying to understand burning man i ended up stumbling into the fact that there was a much larger umbrella of transformational events that were taking place and so when when i started to peel back the layers i realized this is the cultural side the cultural side of celebrating one world and they don't hide it they don't make any uh they they don't hide the fact that that's what this is about and so last year i started really pulling a lot of this together and uh this spring i started doing the first presentations on the subject and the first one i gave was at a prophecy conference in fargo and uh, i had made the point that there was about 100 120 to 150 of these events uh that take place every year and I was wrong. I was really wrong. I didn't realize until this summer as I started to, to work on a Google Earth project, uh, mapping out just where these events take place in North America, that no, there's not 120 to 150. There are hundreds of these events, hundreds of them that take place all around the world. And what it does tell you it tells you that we have already reached a point in our culture, in our Western mindset, that we can celebrate oneness. We celebrate this openly. It's not that this is um, a new way of looking at the world. No, no, no. All this is doing is mirroring the fact. It's it's uh, simply a mirror of what's taking place already within our culture. It's a, it's a mirror of what's happening in the hearts of our neighbors, our family, our friends, our communities. And, and that's the important thing to, for people to realize. Uh, they're not they're not being uh, they're not they're not breaking new ground. They're just celebrating the ground that's already been broken. Right. Now, you know, I'm just going to take the opposite aisle here for a moment. Sure. What's wrong with oneness? You know, it just sounds like it's you know, 
opposing something like that would be just uh, completely out of line because, I mean, obviously we're all trying to get along. We're all trying to, you know, uh, treat each other well and things like that. What, what is, what's the danger or, or troubling factor for you for oneness? Well, the bottom line is, is it real? Is it real? Hmm. Or is, is oneness reality? Or is it an illusion? Mm. If oneness is reality, then then at the core of every ideology, every philosophy, every religious movement, oneness should be evident. We should find some trace of it somehow. And indeed, that is the case when you go through all the world religions, uh, the spiritual pursuits, even political ideologies, uh, those that, that look to collectivize, bring together mankind. Yes, this concept of oneness comes up over and over and over again. Uh, I have a uh, an old book in my library from the 1940s that that uh, was written by a, an individual who who drew together all the various uh, aspects of occultism, religion, superstition, and he did a comparative study from going way, way back, way back to the, to the days of Babylon and Egypt, all the way up until, up, up until the late 1800s. And in this survey, when it was all done of religion and spirituality and occultism, the bottom line that he could find, the, the one thing that, that, that stuck out to him was, all is one. Everything is moving towards oneness. Everything has an element of this at its core. So, that is the dominant worldview. Peter Jones and other Christian uh, commentators and, and uh, theologians have been, have been uh, working through what this looks like as well. But here's the kicker. Here's the kicker. There is one, one worldview that says, no, we're not all one. It's an anomaly. It, it stands apart from the rest of what history says. It stands apart from the rest of what religion, spirituality, political ideology says. And it is only found in the Bible. It is the idea that God is not a part of the created universe. He is not manipulated by man. He is not um, reflected in us as now we are now all divine cre uh, uh, creatures. He is separate. He is exalted. He is holy. He stands apart from that which he made. All the other worldviews of oneness somehow integrate man, divinity, nature, the cosmos, energy, God, into the concept of one. It all boils down to my own divinity, or the divinity that we find within nature, uh, the tree spirits, if you go into the pagan worldview, mm -hmm. uh, even into the political side. A good example is, is uh, Marxism and communism, um, which takes a look at the idea that, that man as a, as a whole is all there is. It's a materialist worldview. The bottom line is the state or the party becomes God, becomes the force that, that the rest of mankind now has to bow down to. Uh, there's all kinds of ways of looking at this, but the bottom line is that there are really only two worldviews when things get, get taken down to the very basic level. Either we're God, either mankind is God, or we're not. And there's mm -hmm. a God outside of creation. Understanding that distinction now then helps you to understand why I would be opposed to oneness. What's also interesting with that, guys, is that if oneness is real, then every, and I mean every ideology, every religious position should eventually come down to that point. The very fact that one exists that doesn't 
demonstrates that there's a fallacy in the thinking. Mm -hmm. And this really is what makes it so difficult for the world and why it, uh, the world has such a difficult time accepting the Christian position of Jesus Christ as exclusive, as the only way. Because how dare he be the only way when we're all one? Right. Right. That makes sense. And I think there's something called biocentrism, right? Uh, which basically, you know, life at the center, and, and that seems to be a, a permeating ethics within oneness. Right, right. And so that's why, I, as a Christian, I'm looking at this going, all right, uh, when you dig down, right down to the surface, what does this mean? What does this look like? Sure, oneness is appealing. It looks good. It's exciting. Uh, when you take a look at transformational festivals that celebrate oneness, it definitely has an appeal. If I was of, of an opposing worldview, if I was of a worldview of oneness, I could completely see myself immersed in this because there, there is a sense of energy and ecstasy and excitement, and it draws you in, and you live this, you feel this. Whereas the Judeo-Christian worldview, where God is exclusive outside of, outside of, of nature, outside of, of the created order, uh, it's not a sense that you feel this. Uh, there, there's, it's not something that tugs at you the same way that oneness does. And, and so the world literally draws itself to itself as they celebrate uh, humanity's oneness. And, and, you know, just a couple of days ago, when was it? On, on Friday, October 24th, it was, it was the global day of oneness. It seems we have a day for everything. We've got a, you know, an Earth Day, we have Mother's Day, we have Father's Day. You know, even a couple of weeks ago, I didn't know this, but there's an International Raccoon Appreciation Day. <laughs> I celebrated <laughs> quite heavily on that day. Awesome, awesome. And so, you know, just last Friday was Global Oneness Day, where they had uh, teleconferences and seminars on the importance of recognizing your own divinity and connecting yourself with the divinity found in Mother Earth and the divinity of the cosmos. And, and humanity is moving towards celebrating and understanding and accepting our true singular identity that we are indeed divine. Mm. And this is, uh, it's troubling when you put it in those terms because all of the things that, uh, you know, we and, and yourself have looked at, like transhumanism, like the New World Order and their ideologies, it's almost like when you hear that the culture is completely immersed and have already adopted this, uh, this ideology. I wonder if there's a little bit of, um, I guess, a dissociative sort of thinking going on because a lot of, I would imagine, I don't know this for sure, I don't have you know data or anything, but I would imagine that people that go to these events are expecting change, are expecting to make a difference in the world, and by uniting, you know, that's kind of the ideal scenario, some kind of utopic vision of the earth and the and people and you know when you kind of whittle down to some of the ideas of the new world order i mean it's similar i mean it's maybe a little different take but i would imagine that the folks that go to something like these festivals are if they're educated on global governance and stuff like that would be opposed to it but what, what's your experience with that are they you know are they in tune with that or are they just uh are they against it what, what's kind of their view of the political side, the the geopolitical, and and some of the other like religion, and and is, is it just all hey let's all just get along? 
Well, when it comes down to the area of spirituality, it, it becomes that. We're spiritual, but we're not religious, which is interesting because it's that is considered to be right now one of the fastest growing religious categories when you're doing surveys. What is your religious background? Well, you don't check off the one that says I'm spiritual, but not religious. Everybody seems to be going down that road. So from, from the religious side, that's the direction it's going. Politically, it is recognized that we are moving towards one world. Now, it, how that may look in terms of the people who go to these these celebrations, uh, it may not even it may not even have entered their mind that there's more going on than just simply a cultural side. That there is indeed a political, there are geopolitical reasons for some of this. Um, but at the same time, as I've 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 kind of. Uh, scratched around a little bit to try to understand the worldview that takes place at these conferences, not conferences, these, these celebrations, uh, these gathering places. Uh, th there is definitely the sense that the world needs to come together as one. E even politically, it needs to start to come together as one. I don't think the majority of people going to these events have really thought that through and what that really looks like. Uh, because this is this is something that appeals more to the lay person, and the lay person really isn't interested in, in understanding uh, some of these larger movements that, that are taking place. Uh, the idea of world government and global governance is something that has, has, at least in the sense of being in the culture, been more on the sidelines, more on the fringe. That's for the guys in suits and ties, not for the people who are just running around living a, you know, a, a normal daily life. And yet, at the same time, what they're doing with these events, things like, especially with Burning Man, is that they're modeling what the world should look like. They're modeling right. what the world should be like. And so, they're living in a microcosm, uh, a, a type of a global society already. Right. And, and they see this as being uh, openly democratic, uh, radically democratic. And so... If you take and extrapolate that into the larger world of politics, therefore we need to have a global democratic system that would look something similar to this utopian vision that they're now modeling and living. They're already experiencing. Right. You know what's interesting? I've actually known quite a few people to attend these sort of events um, from a range of, of backgrounds, from from. Christians to people who are already sort of new agey to people who just like the music to people who need a place to take drugs. And it seems uh, my immediate reaction is it, is it doesn't seem like they are so into the spirit of oneness for the most part in the beginning, but then always afterwards like you can kind of start to see it permeate their personality on their Facebook or, or whatnot. And when I first heard transformative events, I thought that the whole idea around it was personal transformation. And it definitely seems like a lot of that actually happens there as well. Uh, but what it seems like is happening is it's like, since this is the place that it's happening at these transformative events surrounded by oneness and, and, you know, all this sort of uh, new, I mean, they're, they're almost all exclusively quite new agey. Right. Um, I mean, I, I have a few people on my Facebook feed who, after going to some of these events, uh, I guess there's an, a Facebook page called the Illuminati. <laughs> and it's, 
and it's got 3.2 million likes. And the Illuminati, the, the posts on the Facebook page, it's like they, they post these sort of new age, help your life, um, let's get along type posts almost exclusively. And to me, what I've noticed is a lot of people, you know, they may have heard of the Illuminati or something, but after they go to these events and they like the Facebook page and things and they see, like, here's one, uh, uh, just to name a few of these, these posts. Smile like you've never cried. Fight like you've never lost. Love like you've never been hurt. And live like there's no tomorrow. And then the next one is, if you miss someone, tell them. If you love someone, show it. Life is too short to keep your feelings inside. You know, stuff like that. Stay loyal, stay faithful, stay true. And it's like, what the heck? Like, this, the Illuminati is just like a, it's just like a cheerleader now. Like, I, I and it, the, the Illuminati meets Tony Robbins. Right. <laughs> it's, it's so bizarre. And then, but what I've found happening and what is the actual scary part is, you know, they may have never known or heard of the Illuminati before, but now their first impression is that like, oh, yeah, the Illuminati is pretty chill. They, uh, you know, they give me some pretty good life advice and blah, 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 blah. And it just sort of adds to the whole like, I don't know. I feel like there's just some major brainwashing if I'm just well, going to say it right, right out. And, and you know, that's interesting because, because transformational events, transformational festivals, you come at it as an individual. And as I've gone through some of the material, uh, interacted a fair amount with, with people in Second Life who've been involved in transformational events. And actually, as we're speaking right now, there's one taking place in Second Life. Uh, there is a burning event, a burn man event that takes place every year in Second Life. And right now, one's the, the, the big one's taking place. Right. And, and so just, I, so, just so everybody knows what Second Life is, um, it's, a, it's a video game that's very... Uh, why very big very big world and you can just go there and do anything it's basically right. yeah right it's a 3d it's a three-dimensional virtual environment that's that's the bottom line it, it's it's um how do you describe it it's a place where where there are shops set up there's schools set up there's places where you can interact and, and kind of hang out with people it, it's a weird place anything you can imagine you can basically do in second life it, it's a kind of a, a strange location a kind of a strange location i've been in second life since 2009 and have used it for for a lot of social research what's interesting right. is when you when you rub shoulders with people in Second Life, we've been at these conference or, or, or at some of these concerts that have have the oneness theme, or have been to some of the uh, the transformational festivals. They recognize the personal transformational side. Yes, it's impacted them directly. Uh, they may have even gone simply for the music to begin with, or just for the party. But while they're there, they, they encountered something more. They encountered, they encountered their own inner divinity. They've encountered their own sense of identity as part of a larger human collective. And so the language that they use is reminiscent of a religious conversion. This changed my life forever. Um, my life was going one direction, and my experience at Burning Man, or my experience at Bonnaroo, or or one of the other hundreds of other ones out there, Alchemy Burn, has now changed it, and I'm going the complete opposite direction that I went. Uh, this opened up my eyes to a new spiritual reality. This kind of stuff. This is the kind of language they use. So there's a personal transformational side. 
there's no question about it. Even the organizers recognize that, that you might come just to party, dance, and listen to the music, but you're being preached to all the time, and you're being preached to in a way that will change you. Now, that said, at the same time, they recognize, and especially the organizers recognize, it goes beyond the personal. It's a social transformation. It's the recognition that I am one person in a much larger collective human experience. And it is that collective experience that will build a new way of looking at society, that will give us a new sense of what society should be like, that it will, that will then inform how we do politics. It will inform how we interact in, in the business world. It will inform, let's say, if you're an educator, how you teach so that you can push the, uh, the idea of, of human collectivism, human oneness, one step more in your own daily life. And therefore, you will have a ripple effect, and it will cause the rest of society and civilization to move towards this idea that we are all indeed one, and we must do this now politically, economically, culturally, technologically. The list goes on and on. So they realize there's two tracks to this, the personal transformation, and as that happens, it's inevitable that that will spill over into the social and cultural aspect of your own neighborhood, right within your own community. Right. And so they, this is something that is, is recognized, and it is, it is advocated. Make this happen in your own life. Mm. Right. Wow. Well, it, I mean, touching on what Basil said there a moment ago, I mean, I've had experiences where talking to people that are, you know, not believers and stuff, and they're, they get excited about, you know, oh, you know, I want to just be a part of this next thing. And I said, uh, what do you mean? He's like, oh, you know, this, this global order thing. This, this whole, and, I'm, and I said, the, like the new world order? And he's like, whatever it's called, man, I just want to be a part of it. And I, I guess there's like a, a sense of, especially the young people, our, our generation, they need something to grasp onto spiritually. And I think that, you know, for whatever reason, the traditional sort of religions um, have, have kind of disappointed in so many ways. And of course, there's... Oh, all the arguments about, you know, against Christianity and against religion in general and all the wars and everything else, which, you know, uh, the, the young people don't necessarily get into the, uh, the, the logical side of those arguments. But I, I want to get into some of the, uh, the aspects of, uh, from a Christian perspective. I found a blog here by a Christian posted on February 7th of 2014. It's called, uh, it's context with Lorna Duick.com. And this person, um, says why Christians should go to burning man. And, uh, you know, I don't know if it's a he or she, but I think it's a he maybe Lorna. I don't know. Uh, no, it's a she. Oh, it's a she. Okay. So you're yeah. familiar with this person. Yes, okay. I am familiar okay. with Okay. So, so she, she goes on here and talks about why Christians should go to burning man and uh, and the reasons she give kind of I thought it was sort of a, initially you know maybe it's a good place for evangelism it's a good place you know to to speak the gospel in kind of a radical way but she says I just want to quote this uh, Burning Man is a developing culture in our world and is leading dynamic change in the 21st century as an adventurous cultural missionary I see Burning Man as a place Christians need to be. It certainly is not for every Christian, but it is for those who want to change the world. It is for those who want to learn more and help form culture. Uh, and it's also for the visionaries who are able to see God in the midst of these newly developing cultures and can creatively tell his story. 
what is your response to something like that? <laughs> you know, uh, there, there are two types of Christians who interact at Burning Man. Uh, there's a handful, and I know, I know a couple of them personally. There are a handful who go because this is a place where you can open up some interesting conversations about the meaning of life, uh, who Jesus Christ is, and why in the world are you here in the desert? And then there's the other type who go because this is something that has become appealing. They see that there is a way of, of trying to change society and culture. But what's interesting is, is those who look to, to Burning Man as a model for society, I, I don't hear them talking in a way uh, that distinguishes Christianity from Burning Man. The, it's almost like, what can we learn from Burning Man? You know something? It's it's like Paul asking the question at Mars Hill, what can we learn from the men of Athens? That's not the right question. Instead, it's how can we use that, that uh, society, that culture, how can we use what they're believing as leverage to open up a conversation about the nature of reality? Paul, when he went to Mars Hill in Acts 17, gives us a phenomenal example of, of a culture that is completely uh, interreligious. All kinds of different belief systems are there. They've got monuments set up to every deity imaginable. And of course, he finds the one monument that's, that's set up uh, to the God who has no name. Paul goes in there, and then he... And, and he understands, and this is important, he understands their spiritual worldview. He understands their cultural context. And then he leverages that. He even mm. quotes their philosophers. He quotes their poets. And he leverages that to bring the truth of Jesus Christ in there. Now, if that's the approach that we take to Burning Man, fantastic. If, if we go in with an understanding of what it's all about and then use that as a leverage point, fantastic. If we're going in thinking that somehow we can learn from this uh, in a way that it will now change Christianity to be more accepting, uh, more cutting edge, all that, all, all the, the blah, 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 I, I'm sorry, <laughs> all we're doing is mirroring what they're doing already. Right. So what? So right. what? I, I do have friends who do go. I've, I've one friend in particular who's been going for a number of years. And uh, he's parked outside the gates of Burning Man. In fact, a, year, a number of years ago, he kind of got the boot at Burning Man. Out you go. Um, sorry, you're not tolerant enough with your Christianity. Oh, what happened uh, to oneness? What yeah, happened? exactly. Well, hey, the deal? that's the illusion of it, isn't it? <laughs> And so he he's outside the, the gate, so to speak, and he has a tent set up with a, an Israeli flag that he hoists. And the Israeli flag becomes Ooh. a lightning rod. Yeah, ah, exactly. And so he has Jews, he has Arabs, he has people who are just curious coming and saying, why are you out here? Uh, what's with the flag? Uh, how come you're not inside the city, so to speak? And he'll use that as a, as a, a point to, uh, to discuss Jesus Christ, Christianity. The other thing he'll do is he'll hand out bottles of water. He'll he'll fix people's flat tires on the side of the road because, hey, with 70,000 people coming in and out, things happen. And he'll use all those as, as uh, gateways uh, to talk to them about, about true Christianity, not the fictitious Christianity that everybody has in their head. It's interesting. Everybody seems to know what Christianity is, and they've rejected the thing that they think they know, but, but they're really, I mean, when you ask people what is Christianity, most people don't even really have a concept of what it's all about. They have maybe the idea of an institution or, or whatever. But when you boil it right down to, to Jesus Christ, that's where the rubber hits the road, so to speak. And so he's there, um, and he has a small team, 
and uh, they they worked to bring a Christian message there. Um, he he told me one of, of one incident where where an elderly man was walking into the city gate, and he came alongside, and and he just said, "Hey, you know, why are you going to Burning Man?" And the fellow turned and looked at him and says, "I have a terminal disease. I'm here to discover if there's any meaning in life." Well, that's wow. opportunity, and yeah. so my friend Robert took that opportunity. Now that said, that's awesome. That is cool. It's not something that everybody can do because you are immersed in a really radical, really different kind of cultural uh, situation. Uh, but w those people who can do it, that's phenomenal. Now, the one thing that he is concerned about is that this will end up attracting those Christians who will go to Burning Man with bullhorns and picket signs. Right. And, and, and reinforce the negative image already right, held yeah. by those people. Mm. Has Westboro ever showed up? I mean, yeah. that just seems like something they would love. I know. I, I don't know. I don't think so, but I don't know. And, and you know, again, the Burning Man is just one. That's the one that's the lightning rod, but there's so many others. There's even some of the larger in the U.S. Bonnaroo in central Tennessee uh, had 90,000 people last year, okay? Uh, Burning Man had 70,000. Bonnaroo had 90,000. Uh, mm. Tomorrow World had, I believe, 140,000, which is just outside the outside of Atlanta. Um, so there's a lot. And, and the majority, by far, don't have a Christian witness. Um, one does. I, I know of the Holy Festival, the Festival of Colors that takes place in, uh, in Salt Lake City, Utah, or just outside of Salt Lake City. Salt Lake City, by the way, has one of the largest uh, Hindu temples in North America. Uh, it has a very large Krishna temple. And so each year they have a, a large transformational event built around the Holy Festival. And I have friends who are Christian witnesses to the Mormon community in Utah who go to this Hindu festival to witness to the Mormon kids who are chanting Hare Krishna. Wow. <laughs> yeah. Jeez. How messed Whoa. is that? <laughs> That's crazy. Okay. But that just shows you now where we are culturally and, and how accepting this has become, whether people realize what is taking place or not. You know, I gave this a, a presentation on this, uh, uh, on the Transformational Festivals uh, with Ray Youngian in the audience. Ray was one of the other speakers. He's an author who, who deals with the New Age. He came out of the New Age himself. I gave the presentation that I give on these events and, and the significance of, wh of what they mean. And afterwards, Ray came to me with tears streaming down his face saying, as a former New Ager, he says, I look at this and I realize we as Christians, our worldview, we lost it. If society can, can celebrate at such a depth, with such depth and at such a level, with such intensity, and with so many people coming, whether they realize what they're doing or not is irrelevant, it just, it just hit him that that it 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 what it does is it speaks to the fact that our culture is so flavored with this worldview already that we can't escape it it's here now as christians we need to wake up and realize it's it's high time that we uh engage with that culture with our neighbors with our family with our friends and bring bring to 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 mind the true Christianity, the true nature of Jesus Christ, our sinful human condition, the character of God, especially the character of God, that God is not part of you. He is not part of nature. He is not part of the creation. God is separate. God is distinct, and he has a standard higher and distinct than your standard. 
Right. Now, what about common ground uh, with some of these folks? Because I, I feel like, you know, even with transhumanism, which, uh, you know, I've been looking at for, for a while. I mean, not obviously not as long as you have, but for the duration of this show and, um, you know, making the movies and stuff like that, I've, I've looked at it a lot. And what I'm finding is that their goals and, and what they're seeking is pretty much what the, uh, you know, the blessed hope is, you know, right. new bodies, um, a new heaven, a new earth. I mean, they'll even use that language. Uh, how do we, you know, use the common ground as sort of a launching point to, uh, you know, preaching the gospel to people that would go to these events? Well, and, and that's a very good question, uh, because there is common ground all the way through. When you take a look at things even like like uh, transhumanism, world government, uh, even socialism, all the all these different events are are speaking to something. They're speaking to the idea that salvation is required. Now, the difference being the difference being is that they believe that their experience, their their concept of oneness, their idea of world government uh, or transhumanism, that is what's going to bring about some type of salvation. So what we have to do is is recognize that there is a commonality here that that mankind is seeking some way of 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 becoming saved, uh, becoming uh, more or less forming a, a new Eden. Uh, whether it's socialism or whatever the worldview is, it, it seems that that when you scratch below the surface, they all have a salvation message. They all have a messianic message of some of some kind. They're all seeking some type of way of saving the earth, saving society, saving us from a, the you know from our, even from our own hands, and then celebrating that. If we can recognize that, if we can recognize that this is a common human longing, and then be able to to demonstrate that, okay, yes, you know, you're seeking salvation, you're seeking the salvation of, of humanity, the salvation of the earth. There is one, there is one who is our Savior, and we can maybe bring about a conversation that introduces Jesus Christ as the exclusive way of salvation. Your political uh, ideology, your political platform will not save you. Hope and change will not save you. Uh, Fabian socialism will not save you. Marxism will not save you. Your transformational celebration of oneness isn't going to save you either. Good luck with it. Because mankind, as, as we seek to, to embody this idea that we can save ourselves, we inevitably, inevitably experience a bloody utopian dream. Right. Not, a, not a happy utopian dream. Right. And his, history speaks to this over and over again. And okay, if we want to find common ground, uh, yeah, recognize that that humanity is seeking something. We're seeking some type of transcendent experience. And and, and the bottom line here is is Jesus Christ says uh, that He is the way, the truth, and the life. Not that that's going to give you a transcendent experience, but when we place our our faith and hope in the One who is transcendent, okay, now we have a different thing going on. Now at these events. Um, you mentioned, I mean, obviously, the, the oneness is being preached to them. And is there a way that that's happening specifically that's more, I don't know, I, I, like I, I try to think of a Christian going to one of these events, like your friend, and, um, you know, having awesome opportunities to, to minister to people, to help people, to, to pass out water and change tires and things like that. What are some things that are happening at these events that would be considered 
competition to that? Like, how oh, are they oh, being sure. preached to there? Oh, sure. Uh, and every event has, has differences. Every event, there, there's nuances. Hey? Uh, but I'll just give you one example. Um, Lightning in a Bottle, which takes place in Southern California. Lightning in a Bottle has workshops on oneness, has workshops on, on your spiritual encounters. It has seminars that take place. It has group yoga experiences. They have a temple of sacred consciousness set up. Uh, it's it's around the clock re-emphasizing the idea and the application of oneness. And so the entire event uh, is, you could call it the worldview alternative or the worldview competition. And you go in uh, from, from beginning to end, the idea of oneness is being hammered home through the experience that you are now encountering. I mean, you, you are participating. You're not just observing. You are participating. You are, you are completely uh, enmeshed and embedded in the worldview. And so you can go and do lectures and, and sit in on lectures. You can sit in on workshops on, on, on oneness or on shamanism or on transformational spirituality. Um, then in the morning, you can go and, and do mass yoga, group yoga. Then you dance all afternoon away uh, and, and have that feeling of ecstatic dance where you're connected to each other. All your hearts are beating together in the rhythm of the music. And then in the evening, you're taking part in a shamanistic circle uh, with, with fire and dance and all the rest. Uh, maybe maybe later on in the night, you'll, you'll be part of some type of a light, light art installation, and, and there you'll feel one with each other. And at the end of the day, you walk away and you put your trash in the garbage can and you drive off into the sunset, return to your boring nine-to-five job, and you're going, wow, life is just simply not quite right. I've experienced this oneness, this model of, of what life is really like. That's the reality I want to live in, not the whole hum nine-to-five of my regular existence. Mm. That's a pretty big um Pretty, pretty, pretty impressive and large uh, type of competition to, to <laughs> I was going to say you know? that sounds good. That luck sounds like some <laughs> some tough competition. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. And so that's why that's why when we encounter people, whether they're part of this transformational celebration or whether it's just your neighbor or your sister or your brother who who now has has connected into that worldview, uh, now we have to be able to, to, to scratch far below just the experience that they've had. Because the experience will speak volumes to them. It's all about the feeling. It's all about the experience. And, and, and so sometimes, sometimes it takes a rude awakening, uh, a little bit of a shock to the system to wake them out of that. An example, I, I gave a presentation on transformational events in Colorado Springs this summer. Um, to about a group of about 300 people. I had about six or seven people come to me and said, hey, that's my, that's my child, that's my son, that's my daughter. I had one person come up and say, that was me. Uh, one person who, who told me about their son who was at Lightning in a Bottle, which is a, a pretty, uh, pretty exciting transformational event and noted for its, its colors, its, its art installations, and just this incredible sense, this, this feeling of coming together in world peace and oneness, and you experience this. And, and this lady was telling me that her son was there, and her son has rejected Christianity because of this experience through the, through the festivals. And he was there with his backpack, and he had his laptop in his backpack, he had his money in his backpack, he had his wallet in his backpack, he has everything in his life uh, uh, of, of importance in his life in his backpack. 
And he put it up against the side of a tree and he went to go dance and he felt totally safe, totally, it, it, this was a good thing. I mean, everybody here is open and honest and seeking peace and oneness. There's nothing bad going on. And then when he was done the dance and when he was done the feeling of oneness, he came back and guess what? His backpack is stolen. <laughs> and, and this, uh, to him, it, all of a sudden it crushed him because everything that his mother had told him about human nature, that there is a sin condition and that mankind is still evil in our hearts, all of a sudden that hit him. I mean, he just, he just experienced the negative side. Mm -hmm. It wasn't all oneness, peace, and harmony, was it? And so it, it caused him to have to stop and reflect. What's interesting is at some of these events, like Burning Man, there has been some pretty nasty things that have gone on. Burning Man has a history of, of some pretty uh, nasty encounters. There's been rapes, there's been even, there's been suicides, there's been murder, there's been some, some pretty heavy, heavy duty stuff that's taken place. It's not all, it's not all uh, cheer and goodwill and smiley faces. Right. And, and so when all of a sudden that nasty side of life bumps into that feeling of oneness and peace and that we're all, we're all singing kumbaya, um, it, sometimes it has a tendency to shake people up. And, and that's one of the things that my friend Robert does when he's at Burning Man and is, is he throws that back in their face. Uh, that yes, there is, there is a nastier side to life and there are standards that are higher than your standards. One, one example is, is, uh, he'll have people, let's say, uh, uh, a man and a woman come in to, to where his tent is and, and he'll end up having a conversation with them and they'll say, well, you know, everybody has their own standard and what's real for me is real for me, what's real for you is real for you. This, this grand mushy subjectivism. Right. And so he'll say, fine, dandy, yeah, let's, let's go by those rules, you know, that's, that sounds great. You know, you've got a really attractive looking girlfriend. Um, I think I'm going to hit on her for a while and, and I'd like to check her out. And, and he'll say it in such a way that's provocative. Mm -hmm. And the guy will be all up in arms right away. Like, like, Hey, how dare you back off sicko. And the girl was like, you know, get behind her boyfriend and you know, you're a creep, you're a creep. And he's like, listen, listen, you have just, you have just demonstrated that your worldview is false. There mm. are standards here higher than your standards. Right. There is there is a reality that is based on a foundation. Um, you're not being consistent with your worldview, and you need to now seriously consider what that means about reality. Right, yeah. objective uh, morals and values that are uh, not binding, or, or gosh, how is it worded? Uh, uh, not binded to. Uh, I'm messing it up. Anyway, I'll leave yeah, that to the no. I'll leave that to the philosophers because <laughs> they're, they're the ones that are really good at linguistically, uh, you know, explaining these things. But um, the use of psychedelic drugs is, uh, you know, hand in hand with, you know, these events. Oh yeah. <laughs> now, now, you know, with our generation, I know. Well, I mean, I guess the generations past as well. But I mean, growing up, I mean, I know that I encountered. Uh, myself, the use of psychedelic drugs at some point, and also thinking that they were, I mean, they did open up my eyes to some different realities, so to speak. I don't think they were necessarily good things looking back, but, <laughs> you know, it's, it's, uh, the whole psychedelic movement is, is re emerging, so to speak, in a, in a very popular way. And I think these events are using that to, uh, push forward and thrive and, and having that sort of influence on, the younger generation, how, how is it 
you know, how is it used? What's the reality of it? And, uh, you know, part of what I want to know is like, you know, if these substances are illegal, a lot of them, how is it that they have these contained events where so much of it is passed around without, you know, having just a big police bust, you know, that's right. I've always wondered that. Well, and at Burning Man, there is a large police presence. And in fact, uh, there, there are guides on how to deal with the police at Burning Man, uh, uh, how to handle the substances that you bring in. And one of the things that's fascinating is that there is a debate within the transformational community about the role of psychedelics. It's understood. It's there. It's mm. not hidden. Uh, even in terms of the transformational experience through psychedelics, marrying that or or partnering that with artwork, partnering that with with group uh, uh, shamanistic experiences or group sacred experiences, the temples, um, it goes beyond just the question of the the legality of it. Uh, it goes now into into uh, what is the benefits, and this is how the transformational community kind of looks at it. What are the benefits and the dangers? Of of knowing that the psychedelic that psychedelic substances plays such a, a a very important role in the transformational experience at the at the individual level, but also at the social level too. Uh, what what kind of spinoffs? And, and so there is debate right now within the transformational cultural movement uh, about the role of psychedelics because they know it's there, they participate in it. Uh, it, it forms and informs some of the artwork. It informs and informs some of the experience. And, and then how now do they deal with the legal side of it? Uh, do, do you encourage this? Do you try to just keep it kind of under wraps as they have, so to speak? Uh, so it, it's it's definitely there. Uh, and they themselves are wrestling with how to handle it. So there's no real question or, or real answer to the question, except to say that that they themselves know and they themselves participate and the police know and the police are often there, especially at things like Burning Man. Uh, where substance abuse and uh, and the experience sometimes go hand in hand in really ugly ways. Right. Well, and you know, what's interesting also is the use of hallucinogenic drugs um, in brainwashing experiments right. and programs right. and things like that and how that could play into it. Absolutely. Uh, there seems to be a real connection with, with some of the vision, visionary art, uh, the, the, the colors, the, the experience that takes place through the art, and, and the use of hallucinogenics, the, the use of, of different substances, mind-altering substances. Because the mind-altering substances, and Aldous Huxley talked quite a bit about this in some of his books from the 1960s, mind-altering substances open up your consciousness. They open up uh, new ways of looking at the world. They bring right. out different dynamics different it allows you to experience something in a, in a completely different way and therefore that it starts to inform your worldview it informs your ideas of spirituality all the rest it doesn't mean it's right it doesn't mean that that now what you've experienced is real i mean after all what you're doing is taking something to to alter reality mm-hmm. um but it's there nonetheless, and it definitely plays a part in these events. Right. I mean, I've heard all the arguments from, especially something like DMT, where they say, well, it's a substance that's produced in your own brain. So, you know, right. what's, what's the big deal if you, you know, get a little extra kick of it? You know, it's like supplementing what you already should have, and it's already, you know, it's in plants and stuff like that. But speaking to Basil's point, you know, there are researchers that are starting to expose, and this has been going on for a while, but how the CIA and, and, you know, the whole 
movement of counterculturism stemmed from an almost a, you know governmental uh, funded operation, right? And uh, so, so it's interesting how you know both sides are funded, so to speak. You know, it's right, right. You know, it's fascinating, and this is something that's kind of a little off topic uh, in terms of transformational events. But LSD and the whole idea of of the psychedelic experience. Uh, so many people point to Timothy Leary, and, and 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 yes, rightfully so, he kind of kickstarted the whole thing. Right. But there is a a real connection between LSD use and mental health. Right. Uh, in Saskatchewan, there's a little town called Weyburn, Saskatchewan. And uh, Weyburn is like maybe 10,000 people. Uh, two, three years ago, they imploded, they destroyed uh, the biggest building in Weyburn. And that was a, a mental health facility that was built, I believe, in the 1930s. A massive, massive hospital. Uh, during during the time that 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 this hospital was in existence, there was a British physician, a British doctor, who was using and experimenting on uh, patients in Weyburn, Saskatchewan, uh, with LSD and other psychedelic drugs. And the intelligence community would interact with him, would interact with this hospital. And it was then after that, that it ended up becoming launched through Timothy Leary and, and through, uh, through the experience of the 1960s with the hippie culture. But it was interesting how already it was, it was being um, used in a little out-of-the-way place called Weyburn, Saskatchewan, one of, the, one of the first places, not necessarily the first, but one of the first places where LSD was being used in a way that was attempting to alter uh, alter mental illness, alter, alter uh, people's mental, mental uh, state of mind. Right. And it was being done through both the medical community and with interest from the intelligence community. Right. And then, you know, eventually Bluebird and Artichoke, the MK Ultra programs um, that experimented the same way, who ultimately found it too unpredictable um, for their experiments. But... Um, yeah, you know, I think it's really interesting. And and really not even, uh, it doesn't really stop at hallucinogens. Um, obviously, we've spoken about how the use of, of drugs is prevalent in, in these situations, in these transformational events. Um, but, uh, I mean, it all goes hand in hand. It does, it does. And when you take a look at the big picture, it, it, it's about trying to experience a new world, trying to experience a new reality. Right. And, then, and then hopefully building off of that utopian feeling, that utopian experience, and somehow trying to build off of that and create that new, that new reality that you just finished experiencing for yourself. Right. It's so interesting. I think in our last episode about zombies, uh, Basil and I talked about, and I don't know how we got on this, but the... Uh, we talked about the assassins and the the Hashishin, which are the you know the Islamic group from the 1500s, kind of like equivalent to uh, uh, an Islamic crusade, and how the leader of that group used hashish to basically you know give a, a quote unquote uh, an experience of heaven to his followers to convince them that he was uh, some sort of messianic figure to follow him. It almost seems like this is what's happening at a at a mass scale with the use of you know some of these psychedelics as part of the experiential i guess evidence or temptation for bringing these people into that whole idea of oneness right or even the transformative events as a whole because in that situation you're talking about guns you know he created an atmosphere they he brought them into a beautiful garden and there were girls and things like this it was a whole event that he created to right to to manipulate them 
right? What's interesting with the New Age movement is, is and I remember this in the early 1990s when we began studying uh, the New Age and, and studying all these different interlocking aspects, was back then, New Age teachers were saying that the New Age movement, the exercise of the New Age, the encounter of the New Age, was, was basically the same thing that was being experienced through psychedelics but now without the use of the drug, now just being able to tap into it from a spiritual side and not a psychochemical side. Right. Yeah. 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 Interesting. I've, I've heard that too, where they, a lot of new age people do try to move away from actually using the drugs and experience those things, the same things without the drugs. Um, there's a book out that I came across in my younger days what was it called? It was, it was something to the effect of, you know, how to hallucinate without drugs, you know, how to hallucinate without LSD. And, you know, I never looked into it, but I did think about it. Cause I'm like, Oh, I mean, I don't need to take drugs. Like that's, that's good. I'm, I'm a, I'm a good Christian boy. I don't need drugs. I can just hallucinate this natural way. In this book. <laughs> <laughs> you know I the idea that, that awesome. the idea that it, it's natural, therefore it has to be good for you, right? Uh, you know, <laughs> come on, that has its limits. Uh, yeah, you need water; it's natural, it's good for you. But you have too much; it's called drowning. Um, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's so true. Um, you know, there, there's something. Uh, I mean, this is a little bit off topic, but I think it ties in. There's a growing popularity of. Uh, what's called sensory deprivation tanks. Have you yeah. looked at this, Carl, yeah. at all? I, I've heard of it, but I have not looked into it. But okay, I have so, heard of it, so yes. basically they're, they're isolation tanks. They were first used by John C. Lilly back in 1954 to test the effects of sensory deprivation. But the people who have, who have uh, really talked about this are really talking it up. And basically what it is, is it's an isolated tank. Uh, usually there's some salt in the water to, to you know, allow your body to be buoyant. They put goggles on you so you can, you know, you're, you can't see anything, you can't hear anything, and uh, you, your your body is, you know, in the water. So you, uh, I guess the 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 sensation you receive is that you're it's your it's the first time your body goes completely relaxed, and uh, you just take, you know, they use language like you take a journey into your mind and stuff like that, and um, you know, I mean, some people use uh, drugs as sort of an en enhancer for this. But, you know, there's testimonies out there with people saying like, you know, I was in there for a couple hours the first time and nothing happened. I was kind of looking around, kind of freaked out, feeling a little claustrophobic. <laughs> and then at the end, I saw this red beam of light and I saw these entities there and they wanted me to come. And that's when, uh, you know, that's when the knock came at the door and I had to go and I had to leave. But I thought, oh, I, I really wanted to go check out this red line. I have to go there. And then, you know, he goes on to say that, you know, the next time he, he was in there for five hours and. And uh, it changed his life and all this stuff. So, <laughs> I mean, I guess there is a, a movement happening in, in as far as consciousness expansion and, and technologies that are, you know, emerging. Well, I guess this has been around, but sort of guiding in that process. And, uh, and I know you've looked at transhumanism. What sorts of, uh, what sorts of devices or, or plans that they have as far as consciousness alteration, you know, and then as far as like the, you know, tie in with the transformative festivals, do they believe that, you know, because I guess I get the sense that a lot of these events, they're not necessarily for technological, uh, 
you know, takeover. You know, it seems like they, they're against trans, uh, transhumanism and things like that as well. You know, that's interesting because uh, one, of the, one of the organizers and, and one of the major advocates of transformational festivals, his name is G.K. Long. He's from, he's Canadian like myself. Uh, he recognizes that there, that the, that these movements of, of, of transformational festivals and transformational culture, he says that it's not about being Luddites. It's not about going back to the land in the sense of, of a non-technological lifestyle. Mm. He says, no, no, no. Instead, he says there is a, a very focused synthesis that takes place between technology and the experience and mm. primarily through the area of electronic dance music the rave uh the the interactive interactive uh, uh staging that sometimes takes place the lighting and, and he recognizes that that technology here is being used in such a way that it enhances the entire experience and so it's not that they're against technology in fact they're, they're adopters of it. They, they are, and he even calls them themselves early ad, uh, adopters of some of these, these uh, uh, technological advances, especially in terms of, of the music industry, the sound industry. Right, yeah. Bringing this together in such a way that creates this kaleidoscope of experience through all your, all, all your various sensory inputs and, and drives home this idea of, of, of change and transformation alongside the technological uh, element of it. And, and so it's not that they're opposed to it. Um, I don't necessarily see a lot of correlation between the two. I know it exists, uh, but I, I believe where it exists is it exists in, again, back down to that very basic core worldview. What is, what is it that's trying to be achieved on both sides? On the transformational side, you're trying to achieve the sense of divinity and oneness uh, through the experience of the festival. The festival itself becomes the technique. It becomes the mechanism. It becomes that technology. On the transhumanist side, it's about ascending, it's about going beyond being human, it is about achieving a godlike status through the use of technology, through the use of science and engineering. And I've spent a lot of time interacting with the transhumanist community, I still do. And, uh, you know, it, it's not like everybody that's in it has nefarious aims and, and, and right, uh, yeah. you know, I have got friends who are in it, people who I would consider friends. Our worldview collides completely mm. but but what's important is we recognize each other as ironically as being human right and and therefore we have something that we can already begin to 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 talk with each other about we we recognize that hey you know you're living a life i'm living a life it's just our view of how salvation comes about is completely different. One is the salvation brought about through the works of my hands, our technology, our engineering, or on the transformational side, through the experience of now a human collective. The other is Jesus Christ saying, no, salvation comes only through the one who can defeat death. And that is the author of life, who is Jesus Christ. Absolutely. You know, and uh, I've talked about the, the global brain concept uh, quite a bit in Age of Deceit 2, where it feels like the, the ideals of a transformative event of oneness and technology collide, where, you know, guys like uh, Dick Pelletier have stated that, you know, we're creating a global brain and we're just active neurons. And, right. uh, you know, so, I mean, there is definitely an overlap there. And, uh, you know, I wouldn't be surprised if we start seeing booths at these events that have some sort of uh, devices, technological devices that 
alter your you know experience somehow i'm i mean you know i'm sure you've run across articles about oh you can uh, we'll be able to you know manipulate memory manipulate certain parts of the the brain uh, i watched a ted talk the other day with a couple uh, doctors a neuroscientists or, or I, guess, I guess it was a neuroscientist and a, and a neurosurgeon who uh you know their whole perspective on because their the question they posed was what sorts of ethics do we put in place to move forward with some of these technologies because you know they they do open brain stimulation and uh, you know stimulating different parts of people's brains and and see their reactions you know right there on the spot and uh, the answer that they gave was if it reduces suffering hmm, and and yeah. so you know I thought well. I don't know about that. You know, I, I, I understand that from a practical sort of ideological point of view, but suffering has its place in our character development or, you know, there's, right, there's a certain right. aspect of, of um, a, a role that suffering plays. So I'm, I guess I'm concerned about if that's their ethics, then, uh, oh gosh, this is, this really is a brave new world, huh? Right. Well, you know, that's interesting because when you ask the question about technology and transformational festivals, hey, uh, Google goes to Burning Man. Second Life has, right, right. has interacted big time with Burning Man. Uh, Facebook goes to Burning Man. Uh, San Francisco's tech industry, because I mean, San Francisco and Burning Man are one and the same. Burning Man comes out of San Francisco. Right, yeah. The Silicon Valley goes to Burning Man. Uh, and they, they have... They have interactive uh, technologies that they that they work on, develop. It's interesting. I just read an article not that long ago, uh, where where certain tech companies say, "Hey, we we're already using this as a, as a platform to understand how society and our technologies can kind of mesh and come together, and and how we can model and experiment with this." in a contained safe place. And so already it's recognized that technology and the transformative experience go hand in hand. Um, what I do find interesting is how now places uh, like Burning Man, especially especially Burning Man, how a lot of the longtime burners are looking at these developments and going, well, you know, Burning Man is losing what it originally was, mm. which was... You know, and now it's being accepted by the CEOs and by corporate America and blah, blah, blah. Right. And so it demonstrates the fact that, yeah, that the two do come together. Are there effects or situations in everyday life, the normal world, that you can see changes stemming from these transformative events? Um, you mentioned how the whole idea is to, you know, go to the events and then go home and then sort of, uh, you know, influence the world around you in that way. It, has there any been, has there been any societal, uh, changes or anything that you can account for specifically? I mean, if we have Google and Facebook going, you know, these are the people who more or less shape our experiences. You know, I'm going to flip that over on you. I'm going to flip it in a different way. Do it. Uh, yes. And that comes back around to the fact that these events already mirror society. So here's mm. an example. In my province, my province of Manitoba, our grade 12 education curriculum, our social studies curriculum is so centered on global citizenship and oneness that UNESCO, UNESCO uses my province's grade 12 curriculum as a model curriculum and says to the world, this is what you need to follow. 
years and years ago, back in 1997, one of the first internationalist events I went to was the Global Citizenship 2000 Youth Congress, which brought together uh, Robert Mueller's World Court Curriculum from the United Nations. It brought together uh, people who came and, and spoke on oneness, and we lived it out for three days in this conference built around the idea that we need to integrate oneness into our Canadian Canadian education system and put in a curriculum, a philosophy of curriculum that spoke to mankind as divine and, and experiencing our divinity. Okay? Now, this is infused everywhere in the educational side and has been for well over a decade, probably closer to two or three decades already. In fact, you can go quite a bit further back than that and see how, how this worldview has been ingrained in our colleges, our universities, our high schools, and all the way down into, into the elementary level of, of our school experience. The, all of that said, all of that said, the question then becomes, what what consequences of that worldview being completely embedded in our society, in our culture? When I went to school, when you went to school, when people are going to school right now, what are the consequences of that? Transformational festivals are the consequences of the worldview already being accepted, swallowed, mm. and, and held onto. So the, really the question is, should be flipped. What perpetrated transformational events, transformational festivals. What caused them? And the cause is not the event itself. It's the fact that society has already accepted it and has been ingrained in this ideology for a long, long time. So you see it more as a concentration of what's already um, meandering about in society. Right. It's a consequence, not a cause. Mm. Got it. Cool. Yeah, that's really interesting. What do you see as part of the, uh, you know, uh, there's so much going on in the world, you know, with uh, obviously, I mean, this is a kind of left field, but I feel like there's a, there's a tie in that maybe you can, you can bridge here because, you know, obviously you, when the news talks about Ebola and the Middle East and there's all kinds of stuff going on with like terrorism and, and all this stuff. Is that, do you think that's just part of the counter movement to, um, as a seed to create these, you know, transformative sort of ideologies to kind of, you know, like this is what we're against, you know, so they have a target that they're uh, trying to move off the, you know, the global stage, so to speak. You know, it's interesting because this this last couple of weeks, I've been I've been reading through a lot of speeches, some of the collective speeches, uh, pamphlets, and articles of Lenin and Stalin, uh, built around the Russian Revolution, that time period of the Russian Revolution, the summer of 1917. And both of them, in their speeches and in their pamphlets and articles, state over and over again that a revolution, in order for it to be a true revolution, one that really changes society, one that changes civilization, changes the way we view reality, it requires the, the, the intentional use and the intentional, um, uh, you could say, the, the leveraging of crisis. When society feels that the crisis is deep enough and has penetrated far enough into its culture, into its psyche, then revolution is possible. You need to have some, some way of, of mobilizing the masses, mobilizing people mm. towards an end goal. 
And they're, they're saying that that is the art of all revolution. And what's, what's fascinating is a, a couple of, of months ago, I was reading through Jacques Ellul's book, The New Demons. Jacques Ellul was a, a Christian theologian who had some different ideas, but uh, a French theologian. And in his book, The New Demons, he talks in, the in 1975 about how festivals are really containers for revolution, uh, containers uh, in, in such a way that, that you see a crisis in humanity. And that crisis then drives you towards trying to find um, a model or an experimental way out of that existence, out of that crisis mode. And so anytime you do see a crisis that takes place, especially something that is uh, of such significance that it rocks civilization to its knees, expect some type of transformational aspect to come along, mm -hmm. either intentionally, either by design, or, or just simply this is something we can now anchor ourselves to because it's it's expedient. It's here. Right. I, I I experienced this uh, back in 2012 when uh, myself, along with my intern, we embedded ourselves in the International Congress of the World Federalist Movement. Now, the World Federalist Movement, for most people, that, that's it's a name that doesn't mean anything. The World Federalist Movement is the largest pro-world government lobby group and educational group on the planet. They've been around since the 1940s. In the 1940s, they helped to push through the United Nations. They had far more uh, robust ideas for the UN than, than what it did become. But ever since then, the World Federalist community has stood for world government, one world coming together politically. And back in 2012, uh, I was able to attend their International Congress. And over and over again, we heard the importance of crisis, that what we need is the next world crisis. We don't want the crisis to come, but when it comes, we need to be able to leverage it, to mm. use it as an opportunity to bring about political transformation, social transformation, cultural, uh, economic transformation, everything and anything that will move us to the idea of one world mm. and the absolute necessity of one world government. And it was it was brought up this way. World War One gave us the League of Nations. It was crisis, opportunity. Boom, that's what was birthed, League of Nations. World War II gave us the United Nations. Our next global crisis, be it economic, uh, political, uh, conflict-oriented, whatever it may be, our next true global crisis, one that rocks the world to its knees, will bring about the next evolution of global governance, the next evolution of one world. And so this, this idea of crisis is certainly a part of, uh, you know, if not necessarily the design, it's part of that psyche, it's part of that structure of our thinking that when crisis comes, the world screams for solutions. And so I look at the transformational events and what has the crisis been that, that we have had pumped into our heads since we were little kids? Well, the world is, a, is in conflict. Man is separated one from another. We have ecological disasters, uh, the, the problems of the world, poverty, on and on and on goes, you know? And so you end up seeing that there are certain groups that are demonized, certain groups that are marginalized. You're the troublemakers. Right. If you take a look at things like the ecological crisis from its very beginning, Christianity was the one that was singled out as the troublemaker, as the mm. problem. Back in 1970, the very first Earth Day, uh, the, their, their little Bible that came out, the Environmental Handbook, said it on numerous occasions, um, in fact, explicitly, that unless we reject the Christian axiom, we will have nothing more than a continuation of the ecological problem. <laughs> 
Absolutely. Oh, yeah. It's, it was wild. It was so radically anti-Christian. And then, this is a little off topic, but I guess it's not. It kind of fits together. And then at the end of the, of the Environmental Handbook, I believe on page 332, I don't have it in front of me, is a list of about 15 different worldviews that should replace Christianity as ecologically sensitive worldviews, like, <laughs> like shamanism, like Teilhard de Chardin Catholicism, mm. uh, like Buddhism. The list goes on. Alchemism. Uh, it was just wild. Taoism. And then it even suggested that what we need to see is, is mankind coming together in, in short-term, uh, model, transformative cities, little cultural zones mm. that we come together, we celebrate our oneness, we celebrate our connection with nature, and then we leave and, and infuse that back within our, within our broader society. But the idea there was that Christianity was the, the, the core problem that has caused our ecological problems. And so whenever you see crisis being pushed out, you also need to watch as, uh, as there is a way of, of leveraging that to achieve a transformational goal. That's interesting. It sounds like uh, a lot of what Alice Bailey wrote with... Um, yeah. You know, no uh, surprise. Someone, yeah, no I was surprise. thinking about that. Do you see these transformative events as an enemy or a malicious force in the universe? I don't necessarily see it as an enemy. I see it just simply as a continuation of where mankind has always been. I just see this as a continuation of Genesis chapter 3, as are all other attempts at saving ourselves, all other attempts at being, uh, 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 you, could, you could kind of call it the, uh, the designers of our own destiny. Uh, so in that sense, I don't necessarily necessarily see it as a you know a malevolent force. It's just the reality of our human condition as we continually live out this existence of Genesis chapter three. And I'll be honest, if it wasn't for Jesus Christ, Carl Teichrub would be there too. <laughs> you know, seriously, yeah. yeah, we all would be. Yeah. So I, I can't. I, I can't point my fingers and say, oh, you know, you bad person because you go to these events or, you know, that kind of thing. No, no, not at all. Um, you know, it's interesting. How, how are we now supposed to, to react to these kind of events, these kind of things that are taking place? I used Paul as an example earlier. I think also Jesus with the woman at the well is a, is a really good one mm -hmm. because Jesus with the, at, with the woman at the well, he interacts with somebody outside of his culture, somebody who would be taboo within the culture that he was, was a part of. And he doesn't condemn her. Her sins condemn her already. And he's provocative about who he is. But he and he uses the well, the, the water and the well situation as that as that common ground. We need to ask what are the common grounds? And you asked that question earlier. Well, he used that as the common ground. And then he used that as a way of bringing about a conversation that pointed to who he was and and the fact that the Messiah now was standing right there in front of her. Yeah. Now, lastly, I think as we start to wrap up, I think it needs to be asked, and I think you might have answered it, which is, even if for the purposes of research, would you, have you, or will you be attending one of these transformative events? I've been wanting to for a long time. Um, mm -hmm. 
and and I would like to if the resources came along absolutely I've got uh, some inroads into a couple of them Burning Man definitely being one I, I've been wanting to go for a long time with a uh, a social survey I'm very curious to know and I think I have a good idea of how many people go who already have some type of a church background or who are youth leaders or former youth leaders former youth kids from churches I think we would be surprised and I think the church needs to realize that that's where their young people either are going now or are about to go to these types of transformational events. I think it'd be a good place to go to do some very Im intense and important social spiritual surveys and to do that research. I've done some of that online in Second Life, uh, but it's uh, it's something else when you go there and, and you're able to interact with these people on a one-on-one -on -one basis. And, I mean, listen guys, this is why I've gone to World Federalist events, this is why I've gone to, to Global Interfaith events, uh, why I've gone to, to some very significant transformational events uh, in terms of transhumanism, but I need to be able to to go to at least a handful of these transformational festivals and, and uh, interact on on a very intimate way. That way, uh, talk to people face to face and uh, and try to get a, a handle on it from that perspective. I wouldn't suggest that for everybody. Just like I don't suggest that every Christian run off to the nearest New Age conference or the nearest World Government <laughs> event or the nearest United Nations event. Uh, you know, I mean, I've been there. I've been to thirty or thirty five uh, uh, events like that already uh, since since I guess ninety six ninety seven. Um, but uh, yeah, it's not exactly the, the, the best place to, to take you and your kids <laughs> for a Christian outing. It just doesn't work. But uh, it's important that somebody goes and somebody, somebody takes the time to, uh, to, really, to dig through the, the layers uh, in a very personal way. Yeah, and I actually, you know, I think your conversation with Derek, and of course this conversation is doing the same thing for me again, is, uh, you know, really... <laughs> I've made Age of Deceit 1, I've made Age of Deceit 2, I feel that this topic is something that I need to tackle for Age of Deceit 3, and it's a, it's a long-term sort of project in that way, but, you know, maybe we'll chat offline or something to start no, looking good. at some uh, possibilities, because I, I really think that this is an aspect that, that a lot of folks don't even realize is happening, you know, to them oh. and to their kids and stuff, so it's, it needs to be to the forefront a little bit more. Yeah, I would agree. Yeah, and um, uh, and definitely, uh, you know, we appreciate all the research you've done. And um, oh gosh, <laughs> I'm sorry, Basil is is messaging me asking me how to pronounce his your last name. <laughs> oh, <laughs> I'm trying to get a rap together here, Beautiful. and I'm like, how do I say that? <laughs> Well, you know, if, if you would have messed it up, that's totally fine with me. Because <laughs> I've, I've heard it pronounced every way imaginable. Is, is it, it Thai crib? Thai crib, like a Thai and a crib. crib. Yeah, Put Thai and a crib together. I was going to say Thai crib for some reason. Uh, <laughs> okay. Carl, why don't you tell us how to find more of your research, more of your uh, literature, things like that? How can we learn more about what you're doing? 
Well, you can go to forcingchange.org. That's our webpage. Uh, where things happen at Forcing Change is on the back side, the membership side, because we have a monthly magazine that we put out on all kinds of topics that we've been discussing today on your program, including transformational festivals. I would certainly suggest people sign in, even for just a, a handful of months, and at the very least, grab the August 2013 edition entitled Celebrations for Transformation, From Burning Man to Tomorrowland and Beyond, because there's information in there that will help pull all of this together and uh, and it's a very important topic uh, that we need to have a little bit better grasp of. There we go. All right, everybody, make sure to do that. And again, <laughs> Carl Tykrib, thank you. Thank <laughs> You're you so welcome. much for coming on the show, buddy. Uh, thank you, gentlemen. So there you have it, folks. I hope you enjoyed this episode of Canary Cry Radio. Now, for those of you who are super hip and cool and have the Facebooks and the Twitters and things like that, make sure to check us out. You can find us just by searching for Canary Cry Radio. Also, for you super, super cool cats, Canary Cry Radio is moving into the realm of Instagram. Sweet. Yeah. And Instagram is awesome. And most of you know that. Some of you might not know what Instagram is. Yeah, what is um, it? <laughs> Instagram is like Twitter, only it's all pictures, awesome pictures. And so we're going to be posting pictures of our trip to the conference, our travels gone, also some, you know, all, things that we find. I've been finding gone, as you know. I always send you little pictures of secret Illuminati emblems and Masonic craziness that I find all around the alleyways of this great country of ours. Yeah, it's and, always um, kind of weird. Yeah, it's all, some weird stuff I'll be posting there. And so, yeah, it'll be super cool. My, my, <laughs> my, my father seems to think that Instagram is where all the kids go to get away from Facebook nowadays. <laughs> so if you're into that, you can go ahead and do that. What else we got? Oh, those of you, and now we, we do this because we haven't done this in a while, but you should go to iTunes, the iTunes store, and make sure to leave us a review or a rating or both. That would be great because that really helps us out, helps get the word out, and helps others others know what to expect um, from listening to the podcast. By the way, have you updated your iTunes? Not yet. No, I try to do. I I try not to sign off, like sign away my soul by not reading the fine print. Right. Okay. Well, anyone who did, I'm uh, still running on a 1997 version of <laughs> iTunes. <laughs> Well, anyone who did update iTunes, the the new way to get to all the stuff, there's just a radio button. So just hit radio, and then you can search for Canary Cry Radio. There you go. Make sure to do that. What else do we have here? Instagram. Oh, email. Email. Sign up for our email list. Uh, we've got about 400 of you now signed up, receiving our uh, once-in-a-while emails where we give you very personalized audio messages with updates on the show and other cool things and music jams and things like that. So that's cool. The little music grams. Yeah, music grams. <laughs> we get, <laughs> and we get very little unsubscribes, so that's going well. Um, so make sure to do that. You can do that by going to canarycryradio.com. And signing up for our email list on the bottom, I think, of every page. Yep. Or yep. if you're on there for a while, it might pop up and there you go. argue about it. Yeah. Also, while you're on canarycryradio.com, if you feel that Canary Cry Radio has 
affected your life or edified you or taught you things that you've never known or you know you just like the sound of my sweet voice in your ear please consider <laughs> supporting canary cry radio financially pray about it see what the lord puts on your heart um it really helps us keeps us on the air keeps the ball rolling and uh also helps develop some new things we have going on. Ooh, new things. What new things? Oh, I can't tell you that yet. Okay. But, but there we do will have be new things. Very cool, big new things coming. So if you would like to be a part of that, please consider supporting us. We love you so much. You know, even if you don't, help us out. <laughs> even you're if you still, don't. You're all still nice people. Um, what else? We got something else? Anything else cool? Uh, other than the conference coming up? No. That's like the consumed con- my life. Yeah. Do you know yes, how many times I've said conference? I dream about it now. Too many. Yeah. Stop it. Well, maybe do it one more time. What's this conference about? Gonzo. I don't want to say the whole thing. Well, it's there. It's just just go to theprophecyforum.com. Again. Theprophecyforum.com. Yeah. There you go. Check it out. It's going to be cool. It's actually almost sold out. So go to the live stream. Whoa. We'll Whoa. Do, all, do all of it. Well, I think the live stream, you'll be able to see us, you and I, uh, do a little musical ditty. Oh, yeah. We're going to be doing some worship there. So if you guys like worshiping the Lord, make sure to check in and we'll be doing that on the live stream. Okay. All right, everybody. There you go. Thanks for tuning in for this episode of Canary Crowd Radio. Make sure to tune in next time. But until then, think outside the cage.